Well, I didn't want them to stop doing worship, and I didn't want them to stop doing announcements. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling this morning. Are y'all good? Oh, Lord, you're good. Mm. You're better than we thought. Lord, just, <clears throat> just want to just sit here a moment and let the Lord just touch you, because the Lord's present here. He's present all the time, but sometimes he lets us know he's more present than others. And I'm just praying, Lord, to let everybody in this room know that you're present. Let them feel it as much as they can. Feel it. Experience your presence, Lord. Because, Lord, you're, you're everything. Lord, you're our hope. Lord, you really are our foundation. We don't have a, we don't have a future apart from you. Lord, we don't, we don't even have a, a past apart from you. Lord, everything is, is, is found in you, Lord. Lord, even this moment, Lord, it's all in you, Lord. And, and Lord, you're, you're, you're the thing. You're the one, Lord. And I just ask you, Lord, for every person in this room. I know there's people in this room who've suffered, who are suffering in many ways, Lord, and they're physically, Lord, I, emotionally, I'm family loss, Lord. I just pray now, Lord, that you would do a miracle this morning in people's lives, Lord. That you are our healer. You are our deliverer, Lord. And you want us to taste and see how awesome you are. And you want to demonstrate your, your beautiful power and your beautiful love to people. And I just ask you, Lord, that we'd be the kind of people who could just let you do that any way you want to do it. Anyway, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, help us with our mindsets where we get mindsets that are, are resistive. Amen. Hey, I got two emails this morning, one from Paula Stark that said they got to India good. And she said, uh, Matthew Bollinger and Ben Bolger did not have their luggage. Uh, help them, Lord, right? Then I got another email from Marlon that said they got to India and they were great. Everything was great. <laughs> That's Marlon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lord, I just ask you uh, to help them get that luggage. Uh, we just pray for that. Lord, just mercy. And also, uh, Matthew is going to be preaching probably about, I guess, about right now. So we ask you, Lord, to give him an anointing uh, beyond, his, uh, beyond his current measure of anointing. We ask you for an extra dose of the Holy Ghost on Matthew Bollinger. Uh, to as he speaks to that church tonight, Lord, or this morning, our time tonight, their time, Lord. And for the whole week, for all the meetings they're going to be doing, we pray for each one of them, Lord, that there would be a powerful anointing on them, Lord. Because the anointing is what destroys the yoke. And, Lord, we're looking for yokes to be destroyed and people to get filled with you, Lord, and fall in love with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Y'all good? Woo, Lord, I'm sort of, sort of messed up up here this morning. That's bad. I mean, it's good, but it's bad for you because you could get, I could mess you up. But I'm not worried about messing you up, but I'll be honest with you. Um, that's, you know, that's between you and God. So if you get messed up, don't blame it on me. That's the story. You can talk to Becky about it. She'll, she'll, if I do anything wrong, trust me, she tells me. I used to do a lot of bad stuff. I, I don't do near as much as I used to. I want to. There's still that part of me that wants to, but there's another part of me that says, no, you should not be doing that because that's not helpful. You know, it, it, so I'm, I'm going to behave as much as I can. Yeah, watch out. So, just thinking about here, um, whoo, Lord help me. So, <clears throat> this morning I'm going to talk to you, I've been talking to you out of uh, Luke 15, which is like the never-ending story in my life, Luke 15, you know, and so, but I wanted to really just give you a couple of verses out this morning. Um, the part about what we call the parable of the prodigal son. Most people are familiar with that story. Um, uh, and 
I think a lot of my focus in the past has really been on uh, the sons, you know, the two sons, um, you know, and main, and main, the main reason for me about the sons is I've been both of those sons, which I think most of us have. Most, most people have been prodigals in their life at some point, right? And, and a lot of us and most of the rest of us have been elder brothers, uh, kind of religious and trying to earn stuff from the Lord, right? I think, I think we could all relate to them. But I really wanted to focus this morning on, on the father part because that's really the thing that's really in my heart more than anything else in the, these days is the father and who he is and how we think about him because I have found in my life that's the most important thing there is is about how I see God and how I know God. And that's what's going to change us more than anything else is our revelation of God as a father and what he, who he is and how he is. And I think this is really, uh, this story is really a lot about the father. It really is. Um, because Jesus didn't begin the story by saying there once was a man who had a father and an elder brother, if you, if you catch that. He didn't, he didn't begin that way. <laughs> You know, or there once was a, a man who had a father and a prodigal brother. He began the story, verse 11, he said, a certain man had two sons. That's, that's what this story is. A certain, a certain man had two sons. So, really, it's a story about the, the father and his children. And it's a really a, a story about family. That's, that's really what this whole story is, is about a family. And that's really what God really wants to communicate his heart to us is about how he sees family and how he relates to family. If you would think about in the, in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrews, right from the beginning, uh, had this, uh, story, these stories about families. You know, Adam had uh, two sons, right? Adam had Cain and Abel, right? Had two sons. Uh, Abraham had two sons, right? Abraham had Ishmael. Right, Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, uh, Jacob had two sons. Remember Jacob? Jacob had a, a couple of sons. One of them was named what? Somebody help me. Esau. Y'all, come on. Are y'all hearing me? Don't y'all know who Jacob's sons are? Yeah, Isaac. I'm sorry. Y'all, y'all know better than I know. <laughs> Isaac had two sons. I was thinking, is, is Jacob and Esau, right? Right, those were the two sons. I'm sorry. Also, Joseph had two sons called Ephraim and Manasseh. And see, all those stories were about fathers and sons. And most of those had something to do with the younger son versus the older son. Every one of them, in fact. The younger son being the one who was triumphant and the older son not being so triumphant. That's what all those stories about. So when Jesus started this story and said it was about a man and his two sons, those people listening were immediately dialed in. And those people listening knew exactly what he was saying. They, they were connected with what he was saying because their whole life was around this, this, this story that God had begun to tell right from the very beginning about a man with his sons, about a man and his family. They, so they, they intuitively understood what Jesus was saying. The thing was, was Jesus threw a little, little curveball at them. Because most of those Old Testament stories were mostly about the sons, about one triumphant and one felon. This was more about a father. Okay? This story was more about this father who had two sons. And one of them went astray, and he reached out to him. He went and met him. The prodigal son. But the other one was also astray, and he went out to them. This was about a father who couldn't accept. He could not accept that he would lose one son. Both sons were dear to him. Both sons counted to him. And he would do whatever it took to receive those sons and cause those sons to come back to his heart. See, that's a big difference. That's a big difference in what we were, what the old, the old story was, the old, the old Testament story. This is a New Testament story. Are y'all following this? And so what Jesus was trying to do is reveal something, okay, about the Father, about how the Father is, because the people listening, they were thinking with an Old Testament mindset, okay? That's how they were seeing God. They were seeing God through this lens of the Old Testament, are y'all following this? 
Maybe. Yes. Yeah, come on. Come on, Byron. <laughs> Woo. Yes. Let me read this Luke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip around here a little bit, okay? Can you just hang with me? Let me read this, Luke 2.49. First words of Jesus recorded in the Bible, significant. Uh, his, you know, Jesus went when he was 12 years old. Y'all know the story. He went to the feast with his mom and dad. He was a 12-year-old kid. They leave thinking Jesus is with some relatives. They've gone out a couple of days or whatever, how many days or, or a day or something and discovered that Jesus was nowhere to be found. They're panicking. Y'all know about that? I mean, if you ever lost a child in the mall, or you know what I'm saying? That is the most dreaded feeling in a parent's heart. Okay, that is a dread. And I can just imagine the dread that they felt in their heart with their 12-year-old son lost back somewhere. Who knows what happened to him? And so they go back to Jerusalem and are searching around, trying to hoping that they would find this boy. And they find him in the temple talking to all the big wheels and all the religious people and all the teachers and all the, the, the leaders of the people. And they... They confronted him. What are you doing? Why have you done this? And don't you know, you know, like any parent would do, right? You'd just be flipping out and wanting to beat your kids, but at the same time, just want to grab them and hold them and hang on to them. Does any parent know what I'm talking about? Heck yeah. You know, so you can just put yourself in that and feel these parents. But this is something Jesus said to them. He said, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my what? father's business the first words out of my father's mission my father's business so the first thing that jesus says about god in the new testament is that he's a father now you're getting that the first words out of his mouth that they let us know he's a father that's what he is he's a father isn't that powerful when you think just on that one thought should be radical to us because nobody in the old testament ever called him father Nobody ever called him father. It didn't say in the beginning the father created. It said in the beginning God created. Even Moses couldn't call him father. That's a powerful thought when you think about it. It was saved for the son to declare the father. It was saved. God saved it for thousands of years that we would get this revelation. It was the most important revelation. He wanted one person to declare it and one person to release it to people. And then he would send the Spirit to continue on. And then he would send us to get that revelation and begin to hear that revelation beating in our heart. Well, you know, that was Jesus' mission on earth was to reveal the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's John 14, verse 9. That was his driving motivation. That The Father is a very awesome Father. He's a very generous Father. He's an extravagant Father. He's a kind Father. That's what Jesus was trying to do. You know, I think we all have questions about God in our mind, right? You got this Old Testament God that's almost crazy sometimes. You know, I mean, wiping, you know, wiping nations off the planet, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's like he switches gears in the New Testament. You ever thought about that? Like, what happened to God? <laughs> Did God get saved? <laughs> he sure is acting Christian-like now. Well, really, you know, the Old Testament is just a shadow. Shadows are distorted. Have you ever noticed you could see your shadow sometime on the wall, and it's real big? You see, you can't get a clear picture. If I saw your, just your shadow, I wouldn't get a clear picture of you. I would get some kind of distorted outline that you're there, you're, you're here, you're around, but who you really are I could never get just from your shadow. And so the old, whole Old Testament is pointing us to something. And so when Christ came, he came to tell you, listen, all you saw there was a shadow, all you, but now I'm the substance. I'm, I'm really what God's like. That's what he came declaring. That's what he was telling this story for. He wanted his hearers to know this is what he's really like. This is what he's really like. Amen? And so, in the story, uh, I wanted to, the real, one of the, there's two, at least two prodigals. Maybe all of them are prodigals, but uh, there's two prodigals for sure. There's a prodigal son. He's a, he's a prodigal. And the father was a prodigal. If you look up, and, and it's interesting that the word prodigal does not appear in the story. Have you ever thought about that? There's nowhere in the, in the text that it says prodigal. 
that's just what it's been called. In fact, that comes from a, you know, came later on from a Latin word. It didn't come from the original language, the original text written there. But here's what a prodigal is. This is pretty amazing. It means uh, spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale. Isn't that amazing? We would turn, turn to think, prodigal, if you put these words in your head, extravagant and lavish. Extravagant and lavish. The father was as, as extravagant and lavish with what he had as the son who went out and literally wasted it. But see, the only difference is the father doesn't waste anything. But he gives everything. God himself, the father, is a very lavish father. He's a very extravagant father. That's, that's really what I want you to get today. Because I have a funny feeling most people don't think, and think about God the Father as being extravagant and lavish. But that's exactly what Jesus spent a lot of his time on this earth trying to convince us of. That he's lavish, he's extravagant, he's giving, he's generous, he's loving. And he pours it out. And this story shows it so clearly on both sons. Regardless of how much they disappointed him, regardless of how much they hurt him, he kept pouring out towards him. He kept giving towards him. He kept reaching to him. Not many people think about God like that. Not many people see God like that. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I, I would say probably most people in this room don't see the Lord as lavish and extravagant. See, our view of God is really important. And that's what Jesus knew. He was trying to convince people. And this is not the only place he did this. Uh, let me just read John uh, about this parable of the workers in the vineyard. I'm going to read one verse from that. Have you ever heard of that a parable? It's, many of Jesus' parables were about this lavish heart that God had. The parable of the workers of the, in the vineyard is about a man who owned a vineyard. And in, in those days, their temporary agency, they didn't have somebody running a business. People would just gather at a certain spot... Okay, and somebody who needed workers, they would go to that spot and get the people. That's, that's how they would, they actually still do that in China. I saw, I saw it in China. I saw the people standing at this corner, and people who needed work, they would go get the workers and take them to the place. They would work the day, and then they'd pay them. We call them day laborers, right? Well, this is sort of what this picture was, and it says this. This is what Jesus said in this, in this parable in verse 1 of Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. That word early in the morning, translate that to 6 o'clock in the morning. That's, that's what that meant, 6 o'clock in the morning. Now here's, you could read the rest, of it. I'm not going to read it, but this is what it tells you. He went out at 6 o'clock in the morning and hired these people and took them to his field. He came back at 8 o'clock in the morning. Hired some more people, took him to his field. He came back at 11 o'clock in the morning, hired some more, and took him to his field. He came back at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, hired some more, and took him to his field. Okay, he went, came back at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, hired some more, and took it at his field. At 6 o'clock, at 6 p.m., he said, it's time, the day's over, we're going to pay everybody, and we're going to start with the people who came last. We're going to start with the four o'clock people. And so when the four o'clock people came up, he gave them what's equivalent to a day's wages. And so the 6 a.m. people were watching all these people before them get these pay. They were all, and they were thinking, oh gosh, this guy's generous beyond measure. I can't wait. Till we get up there, we're going to get four days worth based on the first guy only working two hours. That's what they were thinking. So when they got there, he gave them what? The same thing he gave the two-hour people. Now, if you're a 12-hour guy, you work 12 hours, and you saw your boss paid this two-hour guy for the same job, you'd be irritated, wouldn't you? You would be irritated, and they were irritated. And, and this is what the landowner said. He, said. he said, I've given you what I've promised to give you. I've given you what I said. I have not done any, I have not did any wrong to you. And in verse 15, it says, Or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? Are you getting that? Are y'all getting that? This is important. 
Because Jesus was telling us something about the Father there. He was describing the nature of the Father. And he's also describing the nature of man. Is your eye evil because I'm good? He was saying the Father's good. The Father's lavish. The Father's extravagant. Yet men, men are resentful. Men, listen, listen to this, listen to this. We, human beings, we focus, we read the Scriptures, we read the New Testament, and we focus on what's required of us. Okay, that's the thing that we look at. What am I supposed to be doing? What do I need to do? Those are rightful things to look at. But the majority of what Jesus did was not about what we need to do. It's about what God has done. Now, that's the New Testament. It's about what God has done, not what we need to do. Our, our job is to respond to what God has done. Are y'all getting me? At least our eyes become evil, okay, because God is good, and we become resentful in our hearts. Are y'all following this? I mean, this is what Jesus was trying to get across to everybody when he walked on this earth. He was trying to say the Father's extravagant. He's lavish. He will spend recklessly on his family. He will give it all to his family. And he did. He gave it all to his family. He sure did. Here's another interesting thing. I'm going to take you back to the parable of the prodigal son. Y'all following this? Uh, Let's go back to this. Let me read this verse. This is cool. This is when the uh, prodigal son came home. Okay, you know, he went out. The prodigal did. You know, he got his inheritance early, which was bad, okay, in that culture. You didn't supposed to do that because it was like saying to your dad, I wish you were dead, give me my money. And so the reckless daddy did it, okay? The reckless father gave him his inheritance. And a couple days later, it says he packed up and left home and went out to a foreign country and spend it, you know, wine, women, and song is what I call it, until he was broke, and he wound up in you know, terrible poverty, working for a farmer, feeding hogs, which was terrible for a Jewish boy. They even had to be near him, you know, because they didn't believe in the swine. And he was so poor that he even wanted to eat the food. And one day it says, he said, man, all my servants have more than enough to eat in my father's house. I'm just going to repent. I'm going to go home. I'm just going to say, let, let me be a servant or I'm going to die. So he was headed home, okay, lost, busted, you know, imagine the stench, imagine the rags he was in, the, you know, he, he was a mess, he was a disaster. And so he gets home, or gets to the village, and this is what happens. Uh, it says in verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Well, that word is not one kiss. It says he ran on his, literally he ran and kissed him over and over and over and over because he was so broken and so much wanting his son back, okay? But this is interesting. This is very interesting. There's a man named Kenneth Bailey who was a a missionary, okay, who grew up in the Middle East. He lived his entire life in the Middle East, and he wrote a book. In fact, he's written a couple of books that I find to be totally fascinating that's based on the culture of the Middle East. Okay, so he gives perspective about things that were in the New Testament, things that Jesus said, things that went on the book of Acts, things that happened in the New Testament, and gives some cultural spin on it that kind of gets you to see something that all these people in Jesus' day was automatic to them. You know, it's like, we're going to have a Super Bowl party. Okay, all of us know what a Super Bowl party is, right? Nobody would think, what the heck's a Super Bowl party, right? We'd just think, it's a party, okay? But are you seeing what I'm saying? There's cultural things that other people might not get from us U.S. people, right? That's, that's my point. Y'all should know what a Super Bowl party is. Well, anyways, he wrote this book on... Uh, it's called, the name of the book is The Cross and the Prodigal. It's like the two books, my two favorite books on this story. The other ones I mentioned to you last week. And this is what he said. Uh, <clears throat> if a Jewish son lost his inheritance, 
amongst the Gentiles and then return home, the, the community, the community would perform a ritual, okay? And they call it the Keziah. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Don't hold me to that. They would break a large pot in front of the Jewish boy and yell, you are now cut off from your people. You are now cut off from your people. The community would totally reject this Hebrew boy because he humiliated the Hebrews by going to a foreign country and losing everything and having to come home destitute. Are y'all following that? It's powerful. So, he also, according to Kenneth Bailey, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, in the Middle East, it was considered a humiliation for a middle-aged man to run and to lift his robe, exposing his legs as he ran. And so, if you, you know, in those days, you had these long robes, and a guy, if you was going to run, you had to pull your thing up so you wouldn't trip on it. And so... Bailey was saying in that culture for a man, for a middle-aged man to run and his legs be, was shameful. It was humiliating. It was demeaning for him. Y'all following all this? This is amazing. The question is, why did the father run? Why did the father allow himself to be humiliated? He allowed himself to be humiliated because he knew his son was going to face this ceremony this Keziah ceremony, and he ran to him. And it literally means that Greek word for running is not just a trot. It means a literal sprint wide open as hard as he could go, like you were running a foot race against somebody. It wasn't a, an old 50-something-year-old guy trotting out there, you know, stopping every few minutes to catch his breath. He ran as hard as he could to that boy to stop them, to get ahead of the community so the community could not reject the son. To let the son know, no, you're welcome back here. You are not a reject. Do you hear that? The community. The community. The community. Are you getting that? Isn't that how the community is? When somebody fails, somebody does some bad stuff, and they deserve every dime they're going to get. They deserve all the punishment they're going to get. Isn't that what they are? Isn't that how it works? Isn't that really how it works? But this father made sure that didn't work. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's a father's heart. And I promise you, most fathers in this room would do the same thing for their son. Most fathers in this, this room would, would jump over people, even if their son deserved to be rejected. They would do whatever was necessary. And where do you think fathers get that from? Where do you think mamas get that mama bear thing from? Where do you think we, we get it from? We get it from him. We get it from heaven. It's a demonstration of God's love, his father and heart towards us. This is amazing. When you begin to shift your thinking away from how you've always seen God, how you always think about God, and you begin to get to see God how Jesus told us he was like. Instead of your understanding, your thoughts about how you believe God is. Am I talking to anybody in this room this morning? I hope so. So, you know, so really, you know, that's a picture of the cross, right? Didn't Jesus humiliate himself? Didn't Jesus hang on the cross naked and bare and expose and took all the shame, took all the humiliation for us? Isn't that really kind of a picture there that, of that? Isn't that? That's just powerful to me. That's just powerful to me. And so I wanted to say this. Uh, you know, your view of God is going to change everything. So give me... Let me shift gears slightly. Y'all all right still? I want to talk to you about my view of God a little bit and kind of tell you about my journey. Because, you see, my whole Christian life is based on this journey of, of who I see God to be. Okay? And my whole journey, when I think about repentance, I'm not going to be honest with you. My first thought about repentance is not repent, repenting from doing some kind of sinful thing. It's, it's, it's about how I see God. Because that affects everything about me. The way you see God is going to affect everything about you. It's going to affect the way you see yourself. It's going to affect the way you see the people around you. And it's going to affect your actions. And when we start really learning that, so here's what happened to me. I, before, this is when, before I was a believer, okay? I, I've shared some of my testimony before, but 
this is just, I'm not going to show you all the details. But I, was in, I found myself in a bad situation, really bad, okay? And I cried out to God to help me. God, help me. And God instantly answered my prayer. Instantly. And it scared the fire out of me. I mean, it scared me. I mean, it totally scared me. Because here's my question in my mind that came to my mind. Why did God answer my prayer? Why would God even pay attention to me? Because in my mind, God was distant. God was demanding. And I didn't really want anything to do with that God. That's the way I grew up. I don't want nothing to do with God. I'll respect Him, but I'm going to keep some distance between me and Him. That's how I thought about God. So in my little, my little brain that night, when God instantly and supernaturally, and then it was a, ma- a powerful manifestation that happened in my life. I was sitting there thinking, it's either one of two things. Either God really does care about me and love me and is hearing me, or God has just shot a warning shot at me. And, and is basically telling me, you keep it up, son, and you're dead. I'm going to get you. And so that was my two thoughts about God. And I suspected it was he was coming after me because he was angry with me and he considered me be, to be worthless. And he didn't like what I was doing, so he was going to get me. And that's the only reason he heard me. It's just so he could say, I'm watching you, boy. I'm going to get you. You keep it up. You, I'm going to get you. That's how I felt. But I also had this other thought. Maybe God really does care about me. Maybe he really does. So I, that's sort of what got me, you know, a couple months later, saved. As I came to conclusion, I think that God has some care about me. And that I believe the truth of the gospel, I believe it was true. And so, you know, I kind of entered my Christian life with that. But I still had suspicions about God as a believer. Okay? My, here was sort of my general thinking. Christ died for the world. Right? I'm in the world. I got in. That was my thought. I got in because I'm in the world. I didn't think I got in because Christ looked at me and said, I care about Byron Wicker. You're important to me. I want you. I didn't think about it in those terms. And so a few years, a few short years into my Christian life, um, I had this other amazing encounter with the Lord. It was so amazing. I still think about it this day. I mean, don't you love those encounters that you can never escape? You know, that just keeps just going over and over and over. I relive it a lot. But I found myself into this. My life was messed up, man. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the honeymoon was over. Christianity was not working good for me. Am I talking to anybody? It was working good for everybody else, but it wasn't working good for me. And I tried, you know, I tried to get it to work good. I tried to do all the things you're supposed to do to get it to work. But it just wasn't working, and I, was, I felt desperate. I felt desperate with God, and I felt mad at God. I was offended at Him. Because why is it working for everybody else, the people who only work two hours, and I've been putting all this in, and it's not working for me. That's what, where I was. And so I found myself out in the middle of nowhere having this big confrontation in my mind, big confrontation, like, like God's going to be confronted by me. Well, we had a conversation. You know, and I, I told the Lord exactly how I felt. I poured my heart out to him. And, and he let me. He listened. Like a, father, like a father will. A father will listen. He'll sit there and listen and let their children. A good father, you'll, if you, you'll get wise one day and do it. You know? <laughs> Instead of demanding to have your say. That was a great thing that Billy Graham's wife said about Franklin Graham. You know, Franklin Graham was sort of a rebel. Did y'all know that? He was a bad guy at one time and, you know, doing drugs and drinking. And and his mom was talking about how he got saved, but she said this, there comes a time when you stop talking and start listening. Remember that? That's powerful, parents. There comes a time to stop talking and start listening. Sometimes they just need to be able to say what's in their hearts. Anyway, so I... The Lord let me say what I had to say, which was a bunch of, you know, uninformed, crazy stuff, you know. And then the Lord spoke to me. He he spoke to me. I'll never forget it. I mean, sometimes I wonder if it was an audible voice. 
I don't think it was audible, but it was so real to me. And it was so precious to me in that moment. He said this to me. He said, he used my name. He said, Byron, my face is like a diamond. It has many sides to it. And it would be wise for you to spend the rest of your life getting to know me. Listen to this. Getting to know me as I reveal myself to you. Do y'all catch that? As I choose to reveal myself, that's the way you need to know me. You don't need to know me the way you think you want to know me. You don't need to set some standard for me that I need to line up and do these things for you to know me. You need to know me how I am revealing myself to you. And you need to spend the rest of your life doing that. That's a big deal. That's a life of repentance. That's a life of changing your mind. That's a life of changing the way you think about the most important thing there is, God. Because God does not always come to us the same. He reveals himself in different times, in different places, the way he wants us to know him. And you can find that through the entire Bible if you could open your eyes and see it. Man, you know what? I got a son that's 30-something, I don't know, 30-something years old, 38 years old. You think I come to him and approach him like he was 15 years old? No. I approach him as a man, as a grown man, not as a daddy who has authority over him. In fact, when I want to tell that boy something or that man something that I think is important, I come very humbly and very carefully and just say just a tiny bit, and then I shut my mouth and move on. You know, if you know him, you know what I was talking about. <laughs> you know, last time I told him something, he got mad at me. I started. I said, whoa, I'm just telling you what I think now. You decide what you want to do about it. I'm just telling you what I think, just a thought. Let me read this to you. Are you all okay? Are you all getting out of the, anything out of this? I hope you are. Here's, you know, there's another parable that Jesus gave that was really, to me, really powerful. It's called the parable of the talents. Now, what's, most people think that has to do with your gifts or your money, which it does, but there's something in there that speaks powerfully. You know the story, the power of talents. This landowner or this person, this master, this lord, this rich man had three servants. He gave one of them five talents and told them to do business till I come. Gave one of them two and gave one of them one. And he went off somewhere. For a long time, then he came back and made the servants like, okay, we're going to be, let's have some accountability for what you did with what I gave you. That kind of says a lot, right? There's accountability with the Lord. But So the first one came like, well, here's your five talents. I earned it and got five more. And so this thing, wow, that's awesome. You got ten cities, right? That's what he said. You're in charge of ten cities because you, you made the five talents go. The next one came, oh, I, here's the two. I got four. Awesome, you got four cities. The one, the guy with one talent. How many people feel like that's you? In fact, you might be thinking, I wish I had one talent. I didn't even get a talent. I got like a daggone promissory note that one day when I get to heaven, I'd get something. That's all I got. I got this IOU thing. <laughs> Some promise from God that, <laughs> just kidding. But let me read this. This comes, <laughs> let me read this. Uh, when he called the one, the guy who wanted this is from the Amplified. I hope they put that in on Amplified. But the one who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be, listen to this, harsh and demanding. I knew you to be harsh and demanding. Let me say that one more time. I knew you, Master, to be harsh and demanding. Are y'all getting that? How many people know God to be harsh and demanding? That's how I knew God. God is harsh. God is demanding. I knew you. That's how I know you, God. You're harsh and demanding. And so here's what he says. And he goes on, reaping the harvest where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. That sounds like God, right? So listen what happens. Based on his view of God, based on who God was, so, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to lose the one talent. 
and I went and hid your talent in the ground. You see, your view of God affects everything about you. You see that right there? Everything affects how you act. It affects what you do with your life. It don't just affect how you worship on Sunday morning. Because you can come in here and act all worship being spiritually and go home and do bad stuff right away. You know what I'm talking about? No, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't never done that. Let me tell you, I know somebody who has real well, namely me. You can worship extravagantly and go home and chew your wife out for nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I'm talking about more than Sunday morning. I'm talking about your life. I hid it. I hid it because of the way I saw you. I saw you hard. I saw you difficult. I saw you demanding. So I hid it. That's a big deal. Your view of God affects every, every, everything. It creates wrong actions. Woo, mercy, Lord. I thought that was great myself. I, I, I honestly, I think this is powerful. I'm, I'm not thinking my message is powerful, but I think what I'm telling you is very powerful. If you can overcome, you know, the badness of this message, <laughs> that, that, that God... God the Father is generous. God the Father is extravagant. He does not want to hold back on nobody. He wants to, and He has given Himself extravagantly to us. He wants us to see Him differently. He wants us to know Him differently. That's, that's really what He's out to do. That's His mission. That was what Jesus said, I had to be about my Father's business. That's the Father's business is he wants to convince the world that he's not angry, he's not disappointed, he's not mad, he doesn't create hurricanes or tornadoes like insurance companies tell us we do. You know, there are acts of God. He, he was saying, no, that is not what I do. I don't do that kind of stuff. So, one more thing. This is really good. Uh, what do I call God? Okay? Have you ever thought about how you address God? Have you ever thought about that? Anybody? About, yeah, see, I think that's an important question, okay? This is one thing that I really love that really always just speaks to my heart is when I'm talking to a man uh, in my age range and they say something about their daddy, okay? And they say, well, daddy would do this or daddy said that. I don't know what it is, but when, when I hear a man say that, it touches me, okay? When you see a man who's on up in years, a lot of them are just grandfathers, Okay, by that time. And they're talking about daddy. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? Daddy. Okay? So I think there's this thing in me, because I've, I've questioned about this, because I used to cringe. I would literally cringe when I would hear somebody, and it's mostly a woman, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't hear many guys, and that might not be a good word for guys. Mostly women would, you know, like in a prayer meeting or something, they would mention something about Abba, Papa Abba or something like that, or Abba Daddy. And it was like, oh, oh, that just don't sound right. That's how I think. You know, it wasn't them, though. You know where the problem was? It was in me. When they were saying Abba Daddy, it was, it was grinding against me. It was grinding against my heart because I didn't know him like that. I didn't have that relationship with him where I could call him Abba or Daddy. It was mostly God. You know, dear God, help me. That's a great prayer. Dear God, help. God, would you do this? He don't mind being called God. God, God. God is pretty good because God helps you say some things. Because when I think about the Lord now, I think the Father, I think the Son, I think the Holy Spirit. You hear what I'm saying? So when I say God now... I, that's what's in my mind, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? But I think there's this thing about calling Him Father that's important that He wants to release people into is to be able to address Him as Father or address Him as Abba Daddy or address Him as Papa, you know? To be able to really say that to Him and it not be contrived, but it be real in your heart. I read this thing uh, you know, from 
Hope Francis said this last year in this speech he was giving at the Vatican with the people. You know, and I'm not no Pope, Pope Francis fan. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. He, to me, he says a lot of disturbing things. Okay? I mean, he says stuff that really disturbs me, but he does say some things that are right. So he's sort of, a, he, I'm conflicted about him, trying to understand where his really heart is. But I, I'll tell you, this is powerful, what he said. So I want to, you know, read this to you. He's talking about calling God Father. He says, calling God Father, rather than simply God, can deepen our spirituality and nourish our Christian hope. Isn't that powerful? The entire mystery of Christian prayer is summed up here in this word. To have the courage to call God by the name of Father. Wow. To have the courage to call God by the name of Father. That's powerful. Calling God by the name of Father is not something that can be taken for granted. We are tempted to use the highest titles which are respectful of His transcendence. But calling Him Father puts us in His confidence, like a child talking to his dad, that He is loved and cared for by Him. Isn't that powerful? And see, I think God really wants to bring us into that place where we can say to, to God, we can call Him Father freely from our hearts because we know we're loved and cared for like a, like a son and a daughter or, son, or a father and a son or a father and a daughter that we have that kind of relationship with Him where we feel free to call Him that. You know, and I'm not trying to get into some kind of weird thing here about I'm worried about what I'm saying or not saying, wordsmithing. I'm just saying, thinking about what I call Him and what's really in my heart. How do I really feel about Him? I'm about to be finished. Now, I understand this. I wanted to bring this up because I know it can be, it can be touchy about addressing God as Father around some people because some people were seriously abused by their dads. Okay, I mean seriously abused. So that even the mention of God being a Father might not always be wisdom. You hear what I'm saying to you? Because of the hurt and the pain that people have experienced in their life. So we have to really ask the Lord to give us wisdom when it comes to addressing Him publicly the way we address Him. Because we want to be sensitive to people and not push people away from this loving Father, but draw them in to His heart. That's what we're out. So I, I did want to uh, say that. I really, I really feel like that's really an, an important you know, key for us this morning. So I think that's probably all I want to say. Thank you. <laughs> Just to, you know, one thing that has really um, helped me recently is, you know, we've been taught that when man fell, that man was so depraved that God just doesn't even hardly like man anymore, you know. And that's a real lie, and it really, our view of God, I know Tozer in his book, um, Knowledge of the Holy, he says that our underst- our how we view God will determine where we end up, and it's so true. And I was sitting here thinking I was at Holy Ghost Girls the other night, and this just kept coming to me. And Mary got to come. Mary's mom's here this morning. I'm glad to have you, Mary's mom. <laughs> and she was on the floor, and we were talking about the Father. And she said something to me that rem- she said, you know, people would tell me you need to have a relationship with the Father and all that, but. She said, the problem was, I just couldn't. So somebody just telling you this stuff, it doesn't really help you, you know, because of whatever's happened in all of our lives. See, I think when man fell, all of us began to get a distorted view of God. It doesn't matter if you had a good father, bad father, whatever it is. You know, some struggle more than others. But I really wanted to say that this morning, if that's you, because that was me coming into, and I had a great dad. But I struggled knowing him as father. And Mary said this other night, it was so good. She says, I, now she says, I just don't even think of him that way. I'm just, I just have this relationship with a father that is so wonderful that I never even think about where I was at one point in my life. Isn't that great? And I believe God really wants to help some of us this morning who, when you hear that word father, because really what we're trying to do here is really just 
tell you that we have a really good father in heaven who really did ransom us from the fall. And there was an answer for the problem before there was ever the problem. So does that not tell you his heart? It's true, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So that's just so key. That has helped me so much in knowing that we have a father that had a plan before. And who knows the whole mystery of it all, but I just know this. He fixed it before it was ever broken. Okay, so that's why we can begin to see, you know, this thing and have a relationship with the father because he loves us. It's his intensity toward mankind. His love is intense. It's really intense toward us. And so, but, but we can never really quite get there if we're not really understanding, you know, the heart of the Father from the beginning. So it is, it is hard to, to make that jump, especially with a lot of us with a lot of baggage in that area. So the Lord wants to, to fix that thing where you just cringe. You know, I was like that. I had somebody to try to pray for me. I got really hurt when somebody tried to pray that over me. And then they stopped and walked off and didn't even finish the prayer. That's how bad hurt I was about that. And, the, you know, the Lord said to me, I'm going to reveal this to you the way I want to reveal it to you. So I just think if we could get the um, ministry team up. Corey, you got anything to? Yeah, you want to pray for them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's important, <clears throat> you know, because all of this that I'm saying to you didn't come from from studying the Bible. And I love to study the Bible. It's, a, it's sort of a, a fun thing for me. But God, the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. The Holy Spirit revealed to me the Father. I could have never figured this out, that He's a Father. So even what I'm saying to you is, is doesn't even touch what I deeply feel and deeply know inside about Him being my Father. There's moments in my life where it feels like he's not he's not there. That's just a bad feeling. And that's that's what I do. That's just a bad feeling. But when you begin to know him as a father, and let me tell you what this when you know him as a father and when you sin, this is what you can do. Is you can if you know him as a father, you know you can always go to him and know that his arms are wide open. His arms are wide open. And He will lavish forgiveness and He will lavish love on you. Now, there's consequences to everything. Okay? That's just the way things are. You know, there's consequences to sin. Okay? That's, that's you know, duh. You should know that. If you slap your sister, you know, you're going to get spoken to by one of the parents. It's not might not be a good speaking to. You know? But as far as the Father's concerned, He's not out to judge. He's not out to hurt anybody. He, this is really what He wants. This is what I hear Him saying to me over and over. I just want my family back. That's what I hear in my heart all the time. I want my family back. When I look at lost people, I hear that I want my family back. Their family. They belong to me. They're in my heart. I just want them to get to see that. I want them to know that. And so God wants to reveal himself to you. However, like Becky said, I'll never forget that night that happened. Some really famous prophetic person praying for people and goes up to Becky and puts his hands on her and gets ready to pray for revelation of Father and walks off and went and prayed for somebody else. And she was devastated. And I wanted to punch the guy, not because he did it, but because I had to deal with her. <laughs> it was not a happy ride home, I can tell you that. And, it, and, you know, trying to talk her through that moment, you know, not to take it personal, but only the Lord could tell her, listen, he, he don't have a right to reveal that to you. I, that's between me and you. That I want to do it the way I want to do it. So... I don't know how the Lord wants to do stuff like this in your life. You know, people praying for you is awesome. It helps. You know, it does. It really does. But I just know that this is what he wants to do. He wants to reveal himself as a father to you. He wants you to see him the way Jesus told us about him. 
the way religion has told us about him. Not the way the Old Testament told us even about him, but the way Jesus said, this is the Father. And then Peter and John and Paul carried that on, trying to show us this Father. The whole book of Ephesians is all about this Father in heaven. This family that he wants to pull you into. The whole book's about that. It's all about it. It's God's design. It's God's blueprint. So I'm going to pray. and You can pray too if you want to. You can pray. I'm going to pray and then she'll pray. How about that? So who prays the best? <laughs> Father, we just want to acknowledge, Lord, mm, help, help us. And I ask you, Lord, for every person in this room, that Abba Daddy, that they would see Abba Daddy, they'd see Abba Daddy in their life. They would see Daddy. They'd see Daddy standing there at them and looking at them with his daddy eyes. They would see it, Lord. They would see it. Because we don't have a chance, Lord, if we don't see that. We don't have a chance until we see you, your eyes, your heart looking at us as a father would. And embracing us as a father would. And speaking into our hearts as a father would. And giving us direction as a father would. And giving us correction as a father would just ask you to do that for every person in this room no matter where they are along this line of revelation and there's just so much more Lord there's just so much more Lord we just pray right now for every heart every soul every mind Lord that you would touch and feel with a freshness of your spirit releasing the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father And Lord, just like you did it for me, and you did it for Mary Magusu, I'm asking you to do it for every person in this room. Lord, that you reveal yourself as a father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you. And I just know that knowing that love changes me. It changed me, Lord. And I'm praying for that change, Lord, inside of each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, that we are secure, we know we're protected, Lord, and we have identity when we know you as a father, Lord. And I just proclaim that and declare that over every person here, every person watching on Facebook. Lord, encounters with you as heavenly daddy, as papa, Abba, papa, daddy. And we thank you. And we want to pray for you this morning if the ministry team can just come on up. Yeah, as they make their way up, y'all, I just want to say um, he's better than you can imagine. If that's something that you have a hard time conceptualizing because of the situation that life has put you in, or if you have a hard time conceptualizing this lavish dad that we have who girds up his loins or girds up his robes to run out into the road to meet us and to cover us with kisses, if that's something that you have a hard time picturing, that's okay. But take advantage of ministry time today. Let us work on your heart a little bit. The Lord's trying to do something awesome. The Holy Spirit's moving. So don't, don't leave. Don't, don't go net. If that's something that's on your heart, make sure you come up and talk to one of these folks. They'll work through it with you and they'll pray for you, okay? So if you are so inclined, we've got some good looking folks up here who'd like to pray with you. If you are so inclined, you can also be dismissed. It's a beautiful day out. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Be blessed as you leave. And we love you all.